When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis on all the topics and debates you're having in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. Today is Your Questions Answered. But we've got a bit of news, of course, because that's what we do to tie in with our first question. And that is concerning the future of the bright young thing that is Erling Braut Haaland, uh, the RB Salzburg striker, uh, linked with many Premier League clubs. Uh, Most, uh, I guess, links have been to Manchester United. This, of course, is a player who was coached as a youngster at Mulder by current boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Old Trafford. But the thing is, Duncan, we have a little bit of, uh, I guess, deja vu here because Alan's agent is none other than the great Mino Raiola. And Mino Raiola uh, has a deal on his commission when Haaland moves. His current club, RB Salzburg, um, are in a position where they are obliged to sell the player to their sister club in Germany, RB Leipzig, for a mere uh, 30 million euros which would give uh, Mino Raiola around €3 million Euros in commission. Now, that would be under, of course, the sponsorship banner and ownership of Red Bull. Now, Mino claims and is indeed marketing the 19-year-old striker, 26 goals already this season, um, as a 60 to €85 million Euro player. In fact, beyond that, possibly up to €100 million. Euros. I think that's a little bit fanciful. However, it is Mino Raiola, and he deals in big numbers, usually with lots of zeros. So anyway, Mino is resisting uh, the uh, attempts by RB Salzburg to move Haaland to their sister club, RB Leipzig, because uh, he wants a commission of between 12 and a half to 15 million euros on a much bigger deal that would take Haaland to the Premier League. However, yet again, there is a twist in the tail, Duncan. And of course, the reason Leipzig want to exercise a right to purchase Haaland is because they expect to sell their top scorer, Timo Werner, to the very same Premier League in January with the possibility of being loaned back. Let's not think about that right now because what we're talking about here is the role of Raiola in this. So we know that Werner is wanted uh, certainly by Liverpool. He's been discussed by Manchester United. Um, Haaland also been discussed by Manchester United and other clubs. But Raiola resisting this move from one sister club to another. Duncan, who's going to be the winner in this one, do you think? Because let's face it, it looked to me like RB, Red Bull, are holding all the cards. They are in terms of having the contract in place, but we know that Mino Raiola is very good at turning the tables and and winning those kinds of card games. Um, And ultimately, uh, the way to win those card games is to get into the head of the player and uh, convince him that the best move is the one that will raise the largest transfer fee and bring him the highest salary and uh, be in Mino Raiola's interests 
in terms of commission. We've seen this with Paul Pogba. We've seen it um, with multiple other players. We saw it in the summer with uh, Matthias de Ligt and the, the levels his salary was raised to and the transfer fee was raised to with Raiola's um, ability to convince de Ligt that he would be better off going to Juventus than to Barcelona where um, people at Ajax initially expected the player to move and thought they had a deal in place for that switch. So Raiola is powerful here um, and you can understand why um, you would be able to convince a player that moving to one of the, the, the higher end Premier League clubs is more attractive than moving to Leipzig, although the career trajectory for a, a teenager might be more sensible going from Austrian football, where he's scoring at a very high rate and scoring in the Champions League at a high rate, um, having been in Norwegian football then to make the next step to Germany rather than, than going for the jump to the Premier League. And also, if you go to Leipzig at that release clause, then the fee is €30 million, Euros, so there's a little bit less hype around you. If you go to Manchester United and, let's say, Raiola is successful, and can secure that 100 million that he is talking about as the the price for Haaland, then um, there's no hiding. You are you know you're immediately under the spotlight. I can see why Raiola is is pitching at that price. Um, discussed recently with a, a recruitment specialist at one of the top Premier League clubs about um, the the hard positions to fill at present and his argument was that centre forward was extremely difficult at the moment and, and particularly the kind of reference centre forward who is capable with playing his back to goal can, can play the physical game as well as, as scoring goals so um, a shortage increases price and Haaland um, is uh, one of the one of the few players of an age, a younger age, okay, so you, you, you'd be concerned that you're buying him too young, but what you would like is the idea that if you buy this player now, you've got 10 years or more potentially of having him in your team and perhaps those numbers you're score, scoring now can get still higher. Um, so, you know, that there is that attraction of youth and we know that a lot of clubs these days focus on younger players. So I can see Ryle is thinking on this one. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the transfer market. Um, I think there will be a reluctance from Manchester United um, to get involved with Mino Raiola. They've had severe problems with them um, over uh, purchases, over Raiola moving Pogba out of Manchester United when he was a, a young academy product um, of Raiola, bringing him back to the club and taking um, what is thought to be the biggest commission in the history of, of the game on that deal um, when they signed him for a record transfer fee. And then very quickly in his second season at Manchester United, offering Pogba around other clubs, the top clubs in Europe, including Manchester City, in order to try and get him out of that club and get another big transfer and another uh, big commission for himself. So um, not the agent that Manchester United would prefer to work with in this situation. And I'm sure they would like to avoid um, going to 100 million euros for a player of Haaland, however, however much Solskjaer likes him from having worked with him before and however much he fits that, that model that they've been pushing of bringing younger players who can... Um, be the future of the club for many years.
Uh, well, one of our um, regular listeners down under in Sydney, Australia, is Max Gay. And uh, we hope, Max, that you're well and that that answered your question regarding the possibility of Ryan Brewster leaving on loan in January. And you asked us, would this mean that Liverpool are bringing in another striker? And of course, we've spoken extensively about Liverpool's interest in Timo Werner and did confirm that negotiations officially between the clubs are ongoing with regards to that transfer. Also, just give a shout out to your new uh, podcast, At Crossbar Pod. That's uh, covering the A-League as well as other uh, football, including the Premier League, with uh, our other mate, Bishoy Basilius. Hope all well with you guys. Staying on the Mino Raiola beat, Duncan, um, I think you're absolutely right when you mentioned Manchester United's uh, reluctance to get into bed again with Raiola, given what happened in the transfer of players like uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, um, less as the so Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but of course Paul Pogba, his uh, stellar client. And we have a question uh, from at Raj Nocker, uh, drumil.caria, who asks, is Pogba intentionally delaying his comeback as he still hopes to move to Real Madrid? This, of course, reference to the fact that Pogba has uh, yet to play since suffering an ankle injury um, in the, uh, I think it was the Carabao Cup game. Duncan, is that correct? Uh, he was injured before the, that League Cup game against Rochdale. Ankle injury came back for the Rochdale game, which um, Solskjaer famously um, decided to give the captaincy to Axel Tuanzebi ahead of Pogba um, when uh, Pogba was the most senior player on the field and there'd been this huge public debate about whether the captaincy would go back to Paul Pogba. Some point game, of course, went to penalties. Um, Pogba did not take a penalty, despite being one of the two designated penalty takers um, going into the season. And uh, he played one more game against Arsenal um, the following uh, weekend and then disappeared with that ankle injury um, has spent most of the time overseas uh, first in Dubai and then in the United States ostensibly rehabilitating from that um, ankle injury um, the playing sus- basketball Duncan playing basketball in Miami like on his social media accounts showing up now we reported in Josie Mourinho's uh, first season with Pogba that Mourinho and his coaching staff had instructed Pogba that he must not play basketball because of the pressure that puts on the knees and ankles. And yet here he is under the next manager directly defying the instructions of the fitness uh, team at Manchester United with regards to the, the, the pressure he puts on. An ankle injury of all things. You're talking about a guy who's probably, what, 14, 14 and a half stone? doing layups and slam dunks and coming down on that supposedly injured ankle. Why is he not playing football for Manchester United, never mind playing basketball? Uh, That's the big question. And there are people who are asking the question whether he is actually still unfit um, or whether there is an issue with Solskjaer and whether, as our our, um, uh, listener asks, he is holding back in the hope of getting um, a transfer in January. Um, obviously, this would be a way of um, facilitating a move. It's a classic strategy for a professional footballer to take um, to, you know, when you've suffered an injury, um, when the club 
says to you, are you ready to come back to say, no, I've still got an issue with it. I'm, I don't feel right. I don't feel comfortable. Uh, instead of pushing yourself to play, staying away. As, as you mentioned on the previous podcast, it's very unusual for a player to be away for, from a club for such a long period of time rehabilitating rather than doing it under the auspices of their own medical department. Um, and as I say, there are, I've been told there are doubts within Manchester United staff as to whether um, Pogba is actually unfit at present, is truly unavailable to play, or whether this is part of um, a, an exit strategy, but which, let's face it, has been um, in operation from Pogba and Raiola in one way or another um, for over two seasons now. Um, you know, he's he's been pushing that move and trying to get that move. Um, decisions have been taken by the club not to sell on numerous occasions. Um, he would probably have gone at the end of his second season if that decision had been left open purely to the manager at the time, Jose Mourinho. But um, as we know, Manchester United have a huge amount invested in Pogba, not just as a player, but as a commercial entity for the club. Um, he's important from the social media perspective to them. He's important from uh, a commercial partner perspective. And they have to date always taken the decision to retain him. Um, a big decision was made in the summer by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as to whether they should cash in uh, when Pogba explicitly said he was ready to leave and was interested in going to Real Madrid. And the conclusion was, uh, let's retain him and uh, try and reintegrate him into the team, make him central to the plan, make him feel special within the team, um, use him as the creative force, let him take penalties, let him play in a more attacking role in certain games and, and score goals. Um, he's played just six matches this season. And as, you, as we were discussing, he's on this long ab absence following what was supposedly a minor ankle injury. Um, that he had recovered from, supposedly, and was put in the team to play against uh, League One opposition, who I think were six games without a win when uh, United played them in the League Cup, um, which in itself was quite a bizarre decision from Solskjaer. Um, and now he is facing uh, the ramifications of that in uh, one way or another, whether it was purely just the injury or whether it is to do with Pogba exploiting that injury to try and facilitate the exit move. That game against Rochdale has effectively cost Solskjaer the services of his most important midfielder for the best part of two months now and no real timeline as to when he will be back. Um, and you wonder whether he's, this is going to be drawn out until the January window opens and, um, and whether... Pogba is going to make another statement about um, I would like to go to another club if the opportunity presents itself in this window. Well, whichever strategy Pogba stroke Raiola as, uh, are pursuing Duncan, I think it's a high risk one. And I say that for this reason. Having spoken to a very um, senior administrative figure at Real Madrid in the last few days and asked specifically about the desire to recruit Pogba to Real Madrid, I was told very, very uh, honestly that, look, it's no secret that uh, the current coach, Zinedine Zidane, is a huge admirer of Pogba and wanted to bring him here in the summer. However, 
Florentino Perez, the president, is the man who makes the final decision, and he made the decision that they would not buy him. That has not changed. So if Pogba believes that by having an extended leave of absence as some kind of protest about his um, being held hostage, let's just say, uh, at Old Trafford on his whatever it is, £1,000 per week hostage pay, then uh, Real Madrid, I don't think, is a credible or realistic option for him, certainly in January anyway. There's the consideration of the uncertainty over Zidane's future, constantly being questioned with regards to um, the uh, performances and also results um, have not, while they've been, I think, approved by most of the Madridista um, because they're keeping pace with Barcelona. Um, I don't think there's a certainty or even a, a sense of um, concrete uh, assuredness that Zidane will be the coach next season. So let's say Real Madrid are not an option for Pogba. Where else can he go? Okay, Juventus constantly mentioned his former club. However, invested extremely heavily already in the transfer market just six months ago um, with salaries included as well for free transfers and the likes of Adrian Rabio and Aaron Ramsey. Uh, they also have Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, as well, who's their highest paid player. Um, would they want Pogba back? Well, in an ideal world, yeah, they probably would. And maybe Pogba would like to go back. But I don't think they're in a position to pay the 150, maybe 160 million euros that Manchester United will demand for the player. So I think Pogba is, as I said, him and Raul, his agent, are indulging in a very risky uh, policy if it is the case that Pogba's fit to return to Manchester United but is staying away as an indication that he is unhappy at the club and wants to leave in January. Well, look, it's, I agree with you. I think Real Madrid is very difficult for him unless the replacement for Zidane decides uh, and goes along with the same line Zidane has that this is a top player available on the market and I want to bring him into the team and rebuild around them. And that's a big question mark. I think you're right, Juventus would be interested, but the financial aspect of it is hard for them. So you have a limited number of options there, but and then you, you ask the question, is this a strategy in Pogba's part to try and accelerate a change of manager at Manchester United? Because from a football perspective, he he's going to be 27 in March. Um he is stuck at a club where he cannot achieve his goals of, of being recognised as the best footballer in the world. Um, he's not even in the Champions League at present. It doesn't look very much like he's going to be in the Champions League next season with Solskjaer as a manager. Um, it is almost beyond the realms of possibility to imagine Manchester United competing for the Premier League title next season. Um Certainly, if Solskjaer remains in charge, you cannot see that happening. So from a from a career perspective, you can understand why he would want either a change of coach and a, cha- a dramatic change of, of policy at Manchester United to try and get them back on a path where they're at least qualifying for the Champions League and he can at least play in that tournament. Or he has to find himself a club, a top club, where he will be in the Champions League. Um and therefore, you you ratchet the pressure on the club, um, and he know, he knows, you know, he, he, his his experience at Manchester United is one of 
I can pretty much behave how I like. I can say things about tactics in in public about the manager. I can um, say I want to leave the club um, in public, and um, and they stick with me. They want to retain me. They they keep me central to their plans. Um, so you know, from his perspective, he must be thinking I'm more powerful than this club anyway. Therefore, I can pursue these strategies with the aid of my agent, who as an agent we know will always go down the line that makes money for himself and his client. That's, that's his history as an agent. Uh, and, um, and see how it plays out. Because Manchester United are not going to punish me for doing things that would be unacceptable on the part of other players. And remember in Pogba, we have um, a personality which is kind of divides opinion in terms of, um, you know, he clearly has an immense football talent, but doesn't apply it in the most consistent way. Um, it's often about how he feels or what he wants to do that day. And also a client who, when given a mini lecture by Jose Mourinho, when he was stripped of the uh, assistant captaincy of Manchester United, uh, when Mourinho said you should take a leaf out of Frank Lampard's book uh, when I joined Chelsea, he had the talent that you had but had never won anything. So maybe you should apply yourself in the same way Lampard did and then you'll find yourself winning the Champions League and the you know Premier League title, etc., etc. To which, of course, Pogba famously um, replied, but where's his World Cup winning medal? So that's a good example of how Pogba's ego uh, controls possibly um, his attitude towards his game. He feels like he's been there and done it all because he's a World Cup winner and he deserves everything and and probably more than everything when it comes to contracts, respect, place in the team, captaincy, etc., etc. And you're absolutely right, Duncan. He probably feels that he is better than Manchester United. That is, you know... I, yeah, I, I, that's what it looks like to me. Um, he, as you say, he's a special talent. His ability to create, uh, um, I think his long ball passing is as, is as good as anyone in the Premier League. Um, and he can set up chances with that. Uh, he has an, an immense physique for a player of his technical ability. But there are lots of parts missing and they're, and they're, they're, they're mental parts, they're application parts. It's about doing the simple things that midfielders are expected to do in terms of positioning themselves to cover defensively. Um, he doesn't seem to be bothered to do that for large elements of his career. Remember, I mean, this is a story we broke on the podcast during uh, last season. Mourinho, in front of the other players, described Paul Pogba as a virus. That was the point at which that relationship basically ended. Um, the result of that was not long after Mourinho being dismissed from the club, a dismissal that Mourinho himself has said he thinks was probably correct because um, of the way he had to take responsibility for what had happened in the dressing room. But whether Mourinho thinks it was correct or not, Pogba was a part of that. And his analysis of, of what Pogba was in the dressing room remains. And you look um, where they are now and you look at what Pogba has contributed to the team this season, um, having been allowed 
to re- remain at the club, having Solskjaer made a decision to retain him there, having Ed Woodward make a decision to retain him there because of their his supposed importance to Manchester United. He's played six games this season. Um, they are a long way from achieving their goal of qualifying for the Champions League. And, um, and I think I'd just like to point out here a very interesting thing. I was looking through their Manchester United interim report that we discussed on the on the podcast um, last week and some of the detail in it. And in that interim report, it mentions their 10-year agreement with Adidas, which famously has um, a, a minimum guaranteed value of 70, 750 million, but is subject to adjustments and can be reduced in value by a significant uh, amount, maximum being a possible reduction of 30% if they fail to qualify for the Champions League two years running. Now, in this statement to the New York Stock Exchange, it says, revenue is currently being recognised based on management's estimate that the full minimum guarantee amount is the most likely amount that will be received, as management does not expect two consecutive seasons of non-participation in the Champions League. Now, I find that fascinating that that is still in Manchester United's um, interim report to the Stock Exchange that they expect to be in the Champions League next season, given the way they've started this campaign, given the way they finished the last campaign, and given that I think you know I think most neutral observers, um, expert observers of Premier League football, would say they could not agree that the expectation, the reasonable expectation was that they will be in the Champions League next season at this stage. And I, I just wonder what some of the institutional investors in Manchester United feel about a statement like that being left in the interim report um, when results suggest very much otherwise. Well, I suppose selling Pogba for a profit, um, getting rid of the problem that is Paul Pogba could make up that 30%, but there's not quite the um, answer that Manchester United fans uh, would be looking for since the balance sheet means nothing to them compared to uh, getting back to where they once were in terms of challenging on all fronts, uh, both domestic and European football. Uh, I mean, Raiola and Paul Pogba will be a story which runs and runs. And of course, we will keep you right up to date here on the Transfer Window podcast. We're going to move across the city of Manchester and to a question from uh, Samuel Dave. Uh, he's at Samuel Dave 13. Uh, and this, of course, comes in the back of reports uh, this day, Wednesday, about a new investment in Manchester City. And uh, Samuel Dave says, Man City became the most valuable football club in the world after a US investment firm called Silver Lake has bought 10% stake in the City Football Group for £389 million. Any details about this, Duncan? Signs of a growing brand and football powerhouse or another way to inject cash in the system to continue the limitless spending? Good question, Samuel Dave. Uh, I'm going to leave Duncan to answer first and I will chime in. Yeah, it's um, very positive news for City Football Group, um, for their Abu Dhabi owners, um, for Manchester City, that this has now been formally announced. It was a story broken by the Financial Times. Um, this American uh, group, Silver Lake, are, are buying $500 million um, of new shares in 
City Football Group, which is Manchester City, plus the multiple clubs they own um, across Europe and Asia. And they're in the process, the report says, of, of uh, trying to buy a club in India to add to that portfolio of uh, football teams. Um, that purchase at $500 million values um, the entire City Football Group at $4.8 billion dollars. Um, and it will put new capital into the group, which City will be able to spend as they see fit, uh, either or or in addition to on purchasing new clubs, such as the one in India that um, they're trying to buy um, players for those clubs, but also, of course, players for Manchester City um, to the extent they can do so uh, amongst uh, whatever we have as a financial fair play rule going into next season after UEFA's decision as to whether they will go along with their investigatory chamber's recommendation that Manchester City should be banned from the Champions League um, for breaches of FFP regulations or whether they will downplay that and avoid a ban and uh, settle for some other kind of punishment that doesn't remove them from uh, Europe's most lucrative club competition. It's um, it's a fascinating investment in terms of the valuation. And 4.8 billion makes them the the most valuable sports franchise in the world across all sports, and it does so by a significant margin. Um, the the highest uh, valuation with an investment on the basis of investment was uh, Brooklyn Nets, um, who were invested into by the Chinese Alibaba group recently. And the, and the valuation placed on that investment for the whole group was 2.35 billion. So half of what Manchester City's City Football Group are being valued at here. It's also almost double Manchester United stock market valuation, which is currently at 2.8 billion which is really extraordinary given that none of the other football clubs in City Football Group make a profit. And Manchester City have only made marginal profits uh, in recent years. And Manchester City, as we know, a very large chunk of their um, their income, the revenue is dependent on Abu Dhabi-based um, companies who are owned by the royal family who own Manchester City. Um, and if you read through this Financial Times report, their suggestion is that Silver Lake don't see this as a long-term investment. They are looking at it with a possible 10-year horizon to exit and take a profit, obviously, on their investment and would potentially be interested in selling earlier um, if uh, the situation suggests it would be a good time to cash out earlier. So they're, they're really um, banking on um, football in general increasing massively in value um, as uh, broadcast rights change uh, from mainly going to satellite companies to being uh, sold via the internet on a potentially on a pay-per-view basis with Amazon, Disney and other companies coming in and, uh, and entering that market. And, and I think it, it, it's interesting because when you make an investment at that scale, um, remember at present Manchester City don't pay dividends, so Silver Lake won't be taking any money if that if that um, stance of not paying dividends in City Football Group's um, small profits remains. Silver Lake won't be taking any money year to year, 
and they will de- be dependent on Abu Dhabi's management of the club to increase the club in value to the extent that they can make a profit when they do exit. And that top evaluation of $4.8 billion for the entire club um, is matched by the market to allow them to make a profit. So it's, um, it's a surprising one. Um, but I think it's also an indicator of the way that football is becoming institutionalized in the sense that um, you know big investors are seeing this sport as something that will produce revenue from um, broadcast and commercial uh, levels down the years, and they can take a percentage return each year, and the, and the value of football clubs will continue on an exponential growth that um, that it's followed um, over the last 10 to 15 years. I think it's certainly the case, Duncan, that um, the tie-up uh, with media rights and the sport itself is key here. Um, Silver Lake are uh, traditionally very much involved, and this is a hedge fund, remember. We're not talking about um, a company which has assets other than money to invest and of course that money comes from both private individuals and corporates now they deal in money to make money they look at football in particular and see uh, the possibility of uh, increasing media rights with regards to different ways of watching football in the next five to ten years silver lake is a company which has invested heavily in a company like skype who of course are a tech company a company to develop electronic and obviously uh, communication uh, lines of uh, involvement with regards to bringing people together. It's about um, effectively creating different communities. It's also, uh, of course, about harvesting data, which we know all about. And that, of course, is going to become more strictly regulated uh, after the Facebook scandal. So media rights through football subscriptions is not as widely regulated as that through social media interactions. So the idea that uh, your data can be used because you've paid per view for a Manchester United, Manchester City derby um, will be less of a target for regulators than it would be for the use of things like personal information, which of course is what people exchange on social media. Now, that is going to be a growth industry, certainly in the next decade. Um, We've talked in the podcast before about the um, eventual um, production of real live uh, broadband that can bring you any sports event in the world as it happens, rather than with the current 30 to 45 second delay on live coverage of sports events, which is the normal um, for anything which you're watching anywhere in the world. Now, the consequences of that, of course, for both the uh, pay-per-view for social media and for betting are huge um, because it kind of evens the playing field with regards to that delay. And that's when, of course, the next big payoff in football will come because you can then market your individual games on pay-per-view for your own profit rather than for the profit of the collective contract that currently exists in all major football leagues. So I think probably a clever investment from Silver Lake. These guys are, you know, they're paid to make money and I suspect that they're making this investment, $500 million, on the basis that they expect to make a, a healthy profit from it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, Duncan, to see other um, private equity uh, companies coming in to invest in other clubs in a similar way. 
Uh, and of course, what it does for Manchester City in the short term is bring them a, a, a sort of, you know, I guess, improved sense of um, uh, financial well-being with regards to the problems they've had with FFP and UEFA, etc. Although, as um, Somel also points out, interesting to see the uh, president of UEFA, Alexander Seferin, sitting next to Khaldun Al-Mubarak at last night's game, which they drew 1-1 with Shakhtar Donetsk. Yes, after um, Egan Durbin, the CEO of Silver Lake, sat next to Khaldun Al-Mubarak um, at City's previous game, their, their victory over Chelsea. And this is what Durbin said in the press release explaining why Silver Lake have invested in City Football Group. Um, he said, we're excited to invest in CFG, which is re- redefining soccer globally, and in doing so has successfully built an impressive global platform of marquee soccer clubs across five continents. We greatly respect City Football Group's stewardship of more than a century of soccer tradition and the strong global fan bases of its clubs. We're excited to partner with the board and City Football Group's world-class management team to help drive the next phase of City Football Group's growth in the fast-growing premium sports and entertainment content market. Um, and yes, uh, the, you know the Financial Times report mentions the UEFA decision over um, financial fair play breaches, which is pending, and says that um, their guidance from Silver Lake was that they'd, um, they'd assessed this during due diligence and felt that um, regardless of the outcome, um, the valuation of the club at $4.8 billion was the correct one and they were prepared to do the deal. Um, I think people will be very interested with um, Seferin's presence alongside um, Hamabarak at the game against Shakhtar Donetsk um, with that um, attention on whether the adjudicatory chamber will go along with the investigatory chamber's recommendation that the club be banned from football. Um, Seferin was interviewed um, about uh, the FFP case and a lot of other matters in July. And he said on record that concerning the case, there will not be any discussion with UEFA, um, i.e. there'll be no discussion um, from City with UEFA over the outcome of the case. Yet here he is um, sitting alongside the um, chairman of of Manchester City and one of the most important politicians in Abu Dhabi as we all wait for the outcome of that case. Now we've got to uh, mention the fact that anyone, and we know (laughs) many, many, many of you, are engaged in our timeline in terms of debate. Um, we love that, as you know, and we get involved with you guys. So it's not just about your questions answered on a Wednesday. It's about uh, your questions, your comments, your views every day of the week with the transfer window. And you would have been blind if you failed to notice all of the comments regarding um, Gary Neville's continued refusal to criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on anything with regards to tactics, team selection, training methods, results, uh, sales of ice creams, probably Old Trafford as well. Um, and so you've seen there's been a lot of a lot of toing and froing. Uh, Duncan, I think, has been very very uh, arduous in the way that he has tried to engage many of you with regards to um, comments regarding Gary Neville. Duncan, we have a we, we do want to issue our invitation um, to um, to Gary again, if he wants to come on to the Transfer Window podcast, 
uh, and have the debate with us live, as it were, uh, we think it would be great. And we know he's a man who never shirked a tackle or a challenge. So we will do that now and we'll also do it on our Twitter feed as well because we know he's a follower of ours. Um, but you just wanted to point out something, didn't you, in regards to win rates of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, compared to other managers who are currently under imminent threat of the sack. Yeah, I mean, this is following on from what Neville said on Monday night uh, on Sky, suggesting that Solskjaer had to protect himself and insist that he he got to spend lots of Manchester United money in the in the January market. I mean, his latest argument for why the team are underperforming is that they haven't got any senior players setting the standard for the younger players, and that the younger players don't know how to approach a Premier League away game, um, which. It's probably correct, both of those things, but I don't see it as a a very intelligent defence of Solskjaer's management, given that it's Solskjaer's decision to have built a squad and to have man-managed players to the extent where he doesn't have um, senior players in the team um, to set the standard for those those players. Um, And remember the three individuals he bought in the summer um, spending your know, record sums on Harry Maguire and Aaron Wan-Bissaka, not one of them has played a single Champions League game yet. So he, he, you know, he, he's deliberately gone for a policy of signing younger, um, less experienced players. Um, and if they don't know how to approach a Premier League away game, you know, Solskjaer's been in charge of this team for almost a year now, and that's what the manager's for. The manager's there to teach and coach and come up with strategies and tactics to help them approach Premier League game away games. And, you know, as we said in Monday's podcast, um, Solskjaer set up his team badly at Sheffield United. He used the wrong tactics. He got outnumbered in midfield. Yet, in his post-match press conference, he on more than one occasion insisted that the, them falling two goals behind Sheffield United had nothing to do with tactics. And then it was all down to the attitude of his players uh, and them not wanting enough um, in that game. So, you know, it's, I, I, I honestly don't understand how um, an individual of, in his position who's paid to analyse and critique football managers can go through um, almost 12 months of Solskjaer uh, management where he has delivered the worst start to Premier League season for Manchester United in over 30 years and numerous other horrendous statistical records and not find anything, not even one thing to criticise there, not one tactical decision, not one substitution, not one you know, in-game management decision. Um, it, it's bizarre. But someone pointed out on Twitter yesterday that um, Solskjaer's win rate as following his appointment as permanent manager in the Premier League, stands at 28.6% and compared it with a few other sort of notable managers' um, win rates in the Premier League. And and it is fascinating because you have Marco Silva, who is pretty much at the point of being dismissed by Everton, um, as we've as we've detailed in the podcast, um, Farhad Mashiri would prefer to retain him, but is coming to the conclusion that he needs to change manager. Uh, Marco Silva's Premier League win rate thirty eight percent, so ten percent higher than than Solskjaer's. Uh, Roberto Martinez at Everton also thirty eight percent, 
Sam Allardyce, your your favourite. Um, his spell at Everton, thirty-seven and a half percent. Then you go to guys like Steve Clark at West Bromwich Albion, thirty-one percent. So a better win record at West Brom than Solskjaer's achieved at Manchester United. Um, Stuart Pearce at Manchester City, pre Abu Dhabi's purchase of the club, thirty-three percent win rate. Gus Poyet at Sunderland. Um, not a great managerial reign that one, and he was at twenty three percent, so only you know five percent less than Solskjaer's achieving with the best funded club in England and one of the best funded clubs in the world, and, and it just makes you wonder whether Gary Neville this this sort of bizarre support for Solskjaer, he's thinking if I stick behind him long enough, Solskjaer's win rate at Manchester United might drop below my win rate. When I was in La Liga, um, which I don't think is going to happen, but it, it's getting there because Gary Neville at Valencia, 16 La Liga games, 19% win rate. I think at this point, it's only fair to, uh, that we should say that, that Stuart Pierce at Manchester he did actually have the help of a small cuddly toy who was a lucky mascot. He's got a touchline <laughs> uh, before every game, and, and maybe that's a, a little indicator to Ollie about maybe where he's going wrong. Maybe a small, cuddly Paul Pogba uh, would be the thing to sort things out. There are Manchester United fans who would argue that Lily Gunnar Solskjaer is a small, cuddly mascot, aren't there? <laughs> if there are, please send in your questions in <laughs> the comments. Uh, and if you've got a small, cuddly Gary Neville, even better. We, as I said, we will be issuing our invitation to Gary to come on the podcast and uh, talk about Ole and all things Manchester United. Maybe it'll be a Christmas special, Duncan, so there'll be cuddly toys all round. (laughs) (laughs) This is Wednesday's uh, transfer window, which, of course, we've been answering your questions and bringing you the news, but also means it's that time of the week for the Great Donkey Award. I think we've got quite a nice team this week, Duncan. Uh, I'm quite pleased, quite pleased with it. Uh, I've just got the gold envelope here, so I'm going to open up uh, and give you both the uh, the nominations as well as the theme of this week's donkey. And this week's donkey is going to be called the Judith Chalmers Award for being a professional holiday maker. For those of you who are not very sort of recognisant with uh, Judith Chalmers, she used to present a programme called Holiday in which she used to go on amazing five, six-star binges for two weeks when all the minions that did the other holidays went camping in Wales. Now, the nominations for this in football, because we're talking about professional holidaymakers here, are, of course, the one and only Paul Pogba, who has spent the majority of uh, this part of the season sunning himself in Dubai and Miami. Oh, sorry, not sunning himself, sorry, rehabilitating his ankle in Dubai and Miami when, indeed, his team are struggling back home in rainy Manchester. Uh, One of our favourites, and we make no apologies for bringing him into the nominations again, is the great Celestine Babayaro, Nigeria's international left-back, who, as Gwen Williams, uh, assistant manager, once made a comment of, it takes them longer to get back from Loftus Road, where they play friendlies, than it does to get back from Nigeria. And, of course, someone, again, who's very, very familiar with the donkeys, he may even won one, I'm not sure, and that, of course, is Paris Saint-Germain's most expensive player in the world, Neymar Jr., who for some reason always seems to be able to take a holiday to Brazil around the 11th of March on consecutive years, just when things are hotting up in the Champions League and, indeed, league and season. But it is his sister's birthday. 
Duncan, it's up to you to award the prestigious golden statue. I'll be very interested to see who this one goes to. Well, a great line from Wynne Williams on, on Baba Yaru, who obviously preferred taking that sort of short um, holiday breaks in London with his mates in the Nigerian football team. I was going to say Paul Pogba um, is the master of the art, taking a holiday and being paid uh, very well to take that holiday. But I, I then realised that, that obviously he is outdone in that front by Neymar, who gets far more money than Pogba for his holidays. Um, you're right. Uh, 11th of March uh, I'm sure he's going to have that written into his next contract that he's allowed to go on holiday and celebrate his sister Raphaela's birthday um, because it's caused such consternation at Paris Saint-Germain but not only that one it's um, occasions where he has been asked um, for example to rehabilitate in Paris after suffering an injury and gone of his own accord to Brazil um, to rehabilitate over there so I think Neymar has to win this one, um, pipping Paul Pogba at the rehabilitation post. Fantastic choice, Duncan, I think. I have heard his Paris Saint-Germain teammates actually call this uh, particular uh, little jaunt the metatarsal fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> Since it's usually a metatarsal injury that Neymar uh, manages to sustain, uh, uh, I won, which won't keep him out for long, but long enough to allow him to have a couple of weeks in Brazil uh, partying with his sis. This has been Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope that we've answered some of the questions that you're all asking. And of course, the debate continues after the podcast finishes because you can get in touch with us at Transfer Podcast, at Duncan Castles for Duncan, at Garbo SJ for me. And of course, on our Instagram and Facebook pages, please get involved there as well. And they are at Transfer Podcast also. We will indeed uh, keep up the debate going until um, we talk to you next. But of course, if you've got the time and the inclination, please log on to iTunes. Give us that five-star review. You know what happens after that. Thank you for listening today. We will see you through the transfer window on Friday. Hey.